Welcome, everybody, to this week's Science Metaverse podcast. I'm your host, Keita Funakawa. And I'm your host, Steve McCloskey. Cool. We got some uh, pretty crazy news this week. A lot happening in both the science world and the metaverse world. Um, up first is the fact that Quest 2 prices are going up by 100 whole dollars. Um, so previously, the low-end model was 299 at about – it was 128 gigs and the high high end quote unquote model was well they had the the 64 gig originally right mm, yes this is true yep and then and then i remember there was a period where those went down to uh 199 right straight up it was walmart refurbished 199 64 gigabyte uh headsets yep uh that was a good deal i i bought a few yeah 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 and then and then so the the high end quote unquote model at 256 is now uh, four ninety nine, which is uh, five hundred bucks, yep. right? Um, so yeah, and the low end's four hundred. That's uh, you know, it's I, I think that's a reasonable entry price for VR, um, especially given inflation. But you know, that two three hundred dollar entry point they had for for a long period, the three hundred, I think that was a fantastic entry point and uh, was really like just encouraging, right? Like encouraging anyone, like hey, just you heard about VR, grab this thing, three hundred bucks is a great experience. And they killed it. And I, I think you know, that was a great job, a great service they did for a while. You know, now they got to, I guess, increase their revenue and, and um, you know, kind of get ready for the future of XR. But um, yeah, yeah, it's like, well, a lot of people are, a lot of people are saying that it's, uh, you know, supply chain, right? Like it's just simply more expensive. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and supply uh, chain your, your plus chips are more expensive. Your materials are more expensive. Yeah, yeah. so it's a, both both a uh, supply chain like logistics issue with COVID as well as uh, inflation, right? So like, well, mm-hmm. I guess inflation kind of more expensive. You know, fuels yeah. more expensive. So yeah, yeah, like everything. You know, if you follow my Twitter, you would know my hot take on this, which is that I feel like not a lot of people are uh, talking about the demand side curve of this, which is that, you know, Facebook has all this data. And um, actually, shout out to, um, I believe, the uh, Land of the Giants podcast. Um, They're actually doing a series on Facebook. And like one of the one of the themes right now is that like Mark Zuckerberg, quote unquote, only follows the data. Um, and so like, he's, you know, like very, very data driven, like meta is, is known to be. So, um, I feel like, like, you know, I, obviously I do think supply chain and inflation had to do a lot of it about it, but I also think that, you know, they must have done some price elasticity analysis. And I do think that they must have, you know, felt confident enough that demand was strong enough such that price increase, uh, was, won't, you know, be like, uh, detrimental, right, to the success of XR. Like yeah. they're not, you know, pivoting away from XR. Uh, it seems like anytime soon. So, um, yep. you know, I think the d- demand side curve is another thing to think about. And and there hasn't really been a lot of kind of posts or you know information about how successful the Quest Two has been since like I think the last Christmas season. So it'd be really interesting to see you know at the end of this this year to see how many quests uh, they've sold and things like that and how the prices affected that, right? Definitely. Yeah. I'm also, uh, you know, of the opinion, maybe this is the price we pay for meta logins. You know, this is the uh, mm. $100 uh, wow. not using your Facebook anymore tax. Like, because also, you know, what was the data after they uh, announced that they were getting rid of meta logins? Maybe there was just yeah. like overwhelmed with, with orders and they're like, okay, well, we were selling these $300 devices to link people's Facebook and like, I don't know, build these like data profiles to optimize like future VR user experiences or you know, whatever they're trying to do with data. And now they're like, okay, well, people could just make a new 
account. We're not going to be able to associate it with like all this other Trova data that we have about them. So it's like less valuable to us. Maybe we need to charge customers more. Yeah. You know, that could be another lens. Totally. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the uh, Facebook uh, subsidy, right? The Facebook login subsidy is now effectively disappearing the same month uh, that the the login requirement is disappearing, which makes sense, right? So that, yeah, no, totally make, that's logical. Yeah, I, I can't believe I didn't put that together, two and two together. But I think it's really a combination of these three, right? It's just, is inflation, yeah. supply chain. This is why we, we do these in nano, you know, so you have these uh, breakthrough sessions. Breakthrough Sorry, insights. supply chain, what? Well, no, it's, uh, you know, yep. uh, I, I kind of consider inflation and supply chain to be in kind of the same category, given that, like, you know, uh, supply chain problems, incre- like, only amplifies uh, effects of inflation. And then, and then uh, like mm-hmm. I said, I do think, I genuinely do think that demand must be strong enough um, to warrant this. And then lastly is the Facebook subsidy, Facebook login subsidy that is disappearing. So, yeah, um, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Analysis yeah. there, there, Steve. <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm excited what, uh, you know, Meta's building, uh, you know, sort of like future wise, uh, you know, Quest 2 has been out for two years already. And, um, you know, we're just seeing like a price increase after a tech product's been on the market two years. It's, it's all kind of a weird situation, but VR is a weird thing for the world. And, uh, yeah, we're gonna, like, it doesn't need to follow mobile one to one. Yeah. Well, I'm just waiting for like, you know, 5G plans to subsidize. It's like, oh, if you sign up for this two-year 5G plan, then you can get X many dollars off. Well, on as soon XR as they put the, the 5G on the headsets, exactly, right? Dude, imagine exactly. we had like 5G built into the headsets and we didn't need to pay for like data and or, or, you know pay for a Wi-Fi hotspot. We just had it built into the headset. Yep. Yeah. Um, be great. Yeah. yeah. I, I would take those around everywhere. Don't have to worry about connecting to good Wi-Fi. You're just on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how, you know, when, although like uh, carrier companies have, have uh, deprecated this for the most part, right? Like when the iPhone first launched, like it was the total cost, I think it was like $600 or something like that. But then the, you could get it heavily subsidized if you got a two-year contract with AT&T. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot, I know a lot of people that switched to AT&T because I was like the only carrier that they supported it. So, I mean, my, my like tinfoil mm-hmm. hat theory back in the day um, when they launched the original Quest was that because Facebook was working on like balloon based internet like systems or whatever. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the Africa, like like bring internet to developing yep. nations that need to connect and all that. Yeah. yeah. So my tinfoil hat theory back in like 2014 was that, oh, they're going to release this standalone device and they're going to have it like 4G enabled with these balloon weather balloons. Uh, and that never happened. Uh, but maybe a variation. Yeah, what we're talking about, like, right, if we, like, preloaded, like, all these uh, chemistry, biochem, math modules onto those headsets, and then, like, boom, like, you could get this whole, like, world-class education for, I don't know, free, if if you could power it with some solar or something. Yep, yep. Well, cool. Um, so the next up, up next, the story next uh, that we're going to talk about. Well, I just said next like fucking ten times in that. <laughs> but um, is uh, the um, uh, Zymergen being acquired by Ginkgo Bioworks? Um, so the uh, story here um, from PR Newswire: um, the uh, acquisition is expected to accelerate the development of Ginkgo's innovative horizontal synthetic biology platform. Uh, expecting integration of Zymergen's complementary automation software and data science tools, as well as biological assets 
to significantly enhance the capacity, capabilities, and efficiency of Ginkgo's platforms for its diverse customer base and enable new growth opportunities uh, across money and uh, many <laughs> end markets. Um, you know, I, of course, I highly recommend going to the link itself to check out the story yourself. Um, but I, I think, Steve, you did you did uh, some quick analysis on like the valuation of Zymergen and whatnot. It looks like Ginkgo uh, Bioworks is getting a pretty significant uh, discount. Um, or or a, a good deal, it seems like. With what was it? Four, yeah, $4, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm excited for Ginkgo. Um, yeah, I love what they're doing. I think they got a great deal on on Zymergen. Um, I, I believe Zymergen raised more money than what they were acquired for. Um, so I think yeah, you know, anytime that happens, like it's you know of significance to, to look into it. And I, I think that you know Ginkgo saw enough value with the the platform that that Zymergen has been trying to enable, especially when it comes to synthetic biology. And uh, sort of contracting on a project with a specific goal, you know, trying to engineer all of your proteins, you know, express them, you know, get everything right. Um, you need very sophisticated tools. And I think Ginkgo's been doing a great job. Zymergen has been also kind of on the up and up, but, you know, world's entering into another weird period. So um, do you want to, you know, after the for two our, years of weird period? Yeah, for our done, audience you know? that might not be familiar with uh, Ginkgo and Zymergen, do you want to give a, your, your quick explanation of what each company does? Yeah, I'm probably going to butcher it, but, uh, you know, Ginkgo uh, will try to uh, help create synthetic biology applications for, for other companies. Um, so they'll contract Ginkgo to be like, hey, I want a, um, I don't know, a yeast cell that produces a ton of insulin because I'd like to make a, a bioreactor um, to produce a bunch of insulin because insulin costs a bunch of money. And they're like, all right, cool. We have this insulin protein um, that is from pigs. We have this insulin from humans. Like maybe we need to make it a little bit different so that it's better in yeast. They, you know, put it into the yeast, they test it out and, and, and try to, you know, make it uh, have good yields and, and other things like that. Um, and eventually they, they end up handing the, you know, DNA or RNA um, that would encode these these things that they want. Um, and so, yeah, that's, you know, they pretty much take in uh, an idea or, or some sort of a project and then give you this, this synthetic biology uh, piece of information or, you know, really probably the organism itself as well. Um, and then those organisms could then be scaled for uh, different things like uh, antibody uh, synthesis, production, um, you know, insulin, things like that. Um, you know, there's exotic things. There's like new materials. People are trying to you know, develop uh, specialized mushrooms that could like, you know, be used as different materials. Uh, people are working on carbon capture, trying to create, you know, synthetic proteins or engineer more natural proteins expressed in an organism that help with carbon sequestration at the molecular level like you know with the nuts and bolts of how the whole like carbon sun system works um you're know, trying to speed that up so they could capture carbon um so yeah it's just really uh varied on synthetic biology uh zymergen was um doing similar stuff and kind of had their own like pipeline of, of ip that they were that they were using for uh, this I, I don't think that they do as much as ginkgo I think they're, you know, compliments in the ecosystem, uh, as you see by the acquisition, uh, where companies maybe even work with both of them, but there are probably plenty of companies working with one or the other. Um, again, if you're at Ginkgo or, or Zymergen, come on here and, and explain it a lot better than me. <laughs> I, 
did my best. That's an invitation, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. um, you know, like the field of, of synthetic biology as a whole is super exciting. And I think that, you know, um, like particularly like a plastic breakdown is something that that's another thing that um, I believe mm-hmm. uh, I, one of them is working on. I Enzyme engineering. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. I, I, I would think like just all, <laughs> all of them probably have to, to do these things at some point, right? Yeah. You know, some companies like, hey, could I break down plastic? And other companies like, hey, I, yeah, I would hope that's the world that we live in. Maybe I'm just too hopeful. It's like, yeah. Well, and, you know, people talk about, now. people talk about nanobots, right? But they don't really, for some reason, consider proteins as nanobots when in reality they are, right? And so this is, you well, know. Well, I don't know. I'd say a protein is less of a, a nanobot and, and more of like a, a, a nanomer, like a nanopart uh, <laughs> of a potential bot where the, the bot is a cell or a virus. Um, you know, at that point, it's utilizing all these proteins to do different tasks, um, whether that's detecting stuff or, I don't know, chopping things up. Uh, whatever it may be and so you you end up building this like factory but, but I, I guess you know to your point you know it could be a factory where each protein's a little robot in the factory there's a lot of different ways to look at it but yeah definitely like engineering new molecular life it's yeah bio nanobots definitely yeah well molecular machines that do stuff molecular uh, machines yep yep <laughs> yep um and so uh yeah i mean excited for for uh hopefully this merger i know that they were like fairly collaborative um before even this acquisition uh and so in you know in terms of i know if, like i i believe they like sold each other different services and whatnot and so i mean it does make sense um these these companies seem to be you know very much in the same kind of realm uh and and very complementary in that respect as well so um excited to see more stuff happen in the uh, synthetic biology field so uh, a little bit of a pivot uh, to the uh, more material science side, or is it? Because it's talking about OpenEye, who's in the biopharma side of things. Uh, but a big news uh, that happened this week that's definitely within kind of the, the computational chemistry field um, is the fact that Cadence has acquired OpenEye, um, uh, which combines, uh, quote, our molecular soft, uh, modeling software with their leading AI ML cloud solutions. Um, under the terms of the definitive agreement, Cadence will pay approximately $500 million in cash, and the acquisition is expected to contribute uh, to wait. The acquisition is expected to contribute contribute immaterial revenue. Uh, I'm, I'm uh-huh, confused for, for the first year, and then and then 40 for the second year, right? Got it. So it's just saying that it's not like the. Acquisition. It's just like you know, it's been going through an acquisition. It's sure it was generating revenue, but like it's kind of, uh, I, I don't know, like not going to be that much. But like they're projecting it for forty for next year. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But this is a big news because Cadence is actually used for microchip design, right? Um, and so, yeah. um, you know, more from the material science, like hardware engineering side of things. And OpenEye is, is you know, very has a large presence in biopharma and uh, computational chemistry. Um, and so, you know, like, you know, we, uh, like something that uh, we talked about before is like with Dassault Systems and how they acquired. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh, I'm forgetting. Accelerus, Thank Biovia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and kind of the con- consolidation that happened on that end. Um, it seems like, you know, now Cadence is also kind of making those moves to be able to consolidate um, from from kind of the the 
uh, like the uh, inorganic side of things um, into the organic. So um, really interesting to see that. But I mean, Steve, I mean, have you used yeah. Cadence before? Uh, I actually did. Um, I, I think in a nanoengineering class, I, uh, you know, I, I think it could use some improvement and, and I think it's a good step in the right direction. Uh, to be, you know, going with uh, on a, a molecular approach uh, by acquiring OpenEye, definitely reminiscent of the whole like Acceleris acquisition by Dassault System, which they were big on like CAD and and like car and, and jet design and and stuff like that. And then they were like, oh, you know, let's buy this biosimulation company uh, that does material science too. Yeah. Um, and, and they haven't like connected them fully. I mean, maybe they have, and I, I'm not too deep in that ecosystem, but. <clears throat> You know, I, I don't know if you could like, you know, look at a, a jet, uh, you know, engine part and then like zoom down on the molecules. Yeah. I, I don't think that well, they're, uh, they're there. Yeah. I think you need to switch between the apps, but with cadence, I think they're a lot closer, you know, because like they're already working on chip level with the regular software mm, I see, I see. and now open eye is like already doing molecular level. So like they're already a lot closer in scale, um, yep. to each other. And so, you know, maybe we'll end up seeing some like cool integrations. Like I definitely am a fan of this and I know that. You know, nanom at our core is to start at the atom and, and work our way up. Um, but I, I do believe that every other company is kind of starting where they need to start and working their way down um, yep. to the you know inevitable goal of, of getting to the atoms. And yeah, I, I think it's really validating uh, that you know other companies are, are doing that with this open eye acquisition. Oh, I'm assuming they have also a lot of uh, cool backend stuff for like circuit design and whatnot, right? I mean, you know, some of the yeah, Google images that they do. we see here. Um, yeah, like, and uh, like, I guess, uh, could those be plugins for Nanom someday or how do you see that happening? Yeah, potentially. I mean, we already read in, uh, uh, electron microscope, uh, images, you know, you know 3d files mm -hmm. and, um, you know, you could use electron microscopes to get, you know, uh, data of different, um, uh, materials and, and other things like, uh, so I, I think that. As we go into semiconductors, um, yeah, I mean, could definitely be a plugin. You just need to get the right, you know, data file output and, and input parsing. Uh, you know, it's material science uh, with semiconductors has been, you know, kind of talked about since the early days. And I think that now as the whole industry is kind of fighting up against that four or five nanometer feature size wall. Um, you know, it's really hard to get lower than that. And like, yeah, they got more complicated with their FinFET, like sort of three-dimensional geometries that they're building. Um, but even so, like if you keep using silicon, um, you, know, you really have this like electron tunneling effect that you can't, you know, it's like quantum physics. Like, you know, what are you supposed to do uh, to combat that besides use a di different material or, or make your silicon thick enough to not tunnel? So, um, yeah, I think there's just a lot of challenges right now if we want to continue Moore's law in the, in the way that it's been going um, in terms of, you know, getting our, our, our dyes and our feature size smaller and smaller and smaller and having improvements that way. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And you need to zoom down to the atoms and molecules and see what's going on to do that. So fits right in. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, in open eyes, um, kind of backend calculations are also uh, fairly robust. And, and uh, I know a lot of the, the top biopharma companies use, open eye. So, you know, this is also a really great way for, um, 
for uh, cadence to like just from a market standpoint, right? Like they're going to be able to buy all the relationships and the contacts that, that OpenAI already has uh, within the um, biopharmer market. So I think, you know, from a biz dev perspective too, um, and, and a, a market positioning standpoint, I think there's a lot uh, to be gained from, from cadence. Um, and I think, you know, also like smart or like digitization as well, right? Like a lot of these pharma companies are also starting to, um, I don't know, do their own robotic systems and different types of things that might require their own chips, right? And so um, I'm wondering also there's an upsell opportunity for Cadence to approach these biopharma companies to then um, potentially uh, have them buy uh, kind of material science software, right? So I don't know if, if, I don't know how you think that's uh, feasible or not, but. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know like the full product offering in Cadence, and I don't know the full like uh, product needs of pharma. So I'm not sure where the you know Venn diagram overlaps there. Um, maybe it's probably a bit. Yeah. So that yeah, that could definitely be a an approach. Like I'm also curious, like how many materials customer OpenEye has been working with. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, like you know, where this acquisition has been from? Like, was there some mutual customer overlap where they were both working with? groups that use both software and then they were like wow like this is amazing like we need to bring this to all of our customers like let's you know we'll buy you guys and then we'll, we'll give it to everyone or um yeah i'd love to be a fly on the wall during uh you know the inception of this deal yeah um you know uh, one thing that we didn't talk about uh during this episode slash i don't even have it on the agenda is like crypto stuff uh speaking of science metaverse but you know like one thing that crypto is very uh, goes hand in hand with is like ASICs, um, especially for proof of work mining. Um, and so mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I would be also good, like interesting to see if there's a, like the customer base of cadence and if there's like crypto companies among them. Um, right. Oh, there's gotta be. Oh yeah, dude, for sure. Yeah. I, 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 th- if you're designing ASICs, like, yeah. Okay. First off, there's like more than one person designing ASICs now. Like there's, you know, handfuls of, of people that w- would you know, be interested in enough to, to do that. Um, and, and, you know, some of them have to be using cadence. Like, I'm not sure, um, you know, how many tools exactly there are out there, but, you know, cadence being kind of one of the biggest and, and one of the best, like, I'm, I'm sure somebody's been using it for designing, yeah, new uh, ASIC mining Bitcoin rigs and things. But I guess uh, to the other point, you know, there could also be ASICs for molecular dynamics and mm. other types of scientific compute. Um, you know, D.E. Shaw with the Anton supercomputer, you know, he, he made his own ASICs for uh, you know, running simulations of, of molecular force fields. Um, so it's not just, you know, crypto industries doing uh, ASIC chips. Uh, that's redundant, uh, I guess, application-specific integrated circuit chip. But um, yeah, yeah, it's a uh, a lot of different applications for that. So I, I think that um, honestly, as we hit that four or five nanometer wall and, and hit it harder, like maybe we'll you know break through a little bit of wiggle room and, and sort of the definition of what they call a feature size is kind of creeping around. You know, it's like the smallest feature. And so many of the features could average like, you know, I don't know, 10 nanometers or, or just some size bigger um, than the four or five nanometer claim, but the smallest feature is four or five nanometers. So I think that you know, as we get pushed up against this against this wall, one of the ways that we could accelerate compute as a whole is to have more ASICs. 
uh, ASICs accelerate everything a lot. Well, that's what's uh, and if the, you do, the right. uh, you know, a lot of people are ra- raving about like the new uh, Apple M- M1 and M2 chips. And mm-hmm. like they're yep. doing a ton of hardware optimization just purely based on uh, video playback and editing. And so like a lot of the, the gains in performance that you see within the M1 and M2s are basically like just straight up, you know, like taking advantage of kind of like I I'm not I can't say that they're actually making ASIC uh, ASIC like parts within them but the the approach is very ASIC like in a sense that they're just like specifically uh you know optimizing for certain software processes um of, you know of modern modern ways people use computers yeah, yeah. I mean, you could have a complicated chip where you have general compute and then you have your GPU and then you have your, your tensor compute right. units and then you have like an FPGA array and then you have like ASICs that are specific tasks for like encoding, decoding video or you know, whatever it may be. Yeah, exactly. Like that's the innovation that's completely entirely possible and, and, and what we need more of as we hit that, you know, I don't know, nanoscale limit wall. Yeah. Um, but on the other end, there's also, I think, better materials and three-dimensional nanoscale design work that we could do uh, to also try to optimize. And so um, I think that, you know, the, yeah, but we're going to need to do both. And I think that they're going to kind of like, um, you know, the tick and, and, and talk like on a clock, yep. not like yep. the uh, App. other thing. So, um, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, like uh, Intel had that uh, process where they would optimize architecture and then scale down the, the fab size and then optimize the architecture again. Um, and, and it just feels like the renaissance right now on more of a macro scale, not every two years, is just we need to be optimizing the architecture a lot because there's like physical limits that we're all starting to hit. And we can't just go down a fab size so easily. Yep. Well, um, awesome. I think that's uh, that's pretty much all of the episode for this week. It's a short episode, but a lot of things that went on during, in the uh, science metaverse world. Um, but yeah, um, we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you in the science metaverse.